Hello and welcome to the President's Podcast, brought to you by Get Football, your home of European football in English. In this extraordinary series, we sit down with European football's power brokers to discuss their journeys into the game and the future of the world's hub of footballing talent. We're delighted to be joined today by someone who, in the last half decade or so, has been one of French football's most important people in terms of getting the game to a wider audience outside of France. He is the departing international development manager at Ligue 1 Club Marseille, Alejandro Requena. Alejandro, welcome to the President's Podcast. Delighted to have you on. Hi, Christian. Uh, nice to meet you. And thanks for the invitation. Absolutely, Alejandro. So let's dive straight in. What's your first footballing memory? How did you end up in the beautiful game? Well, I guess my first memory is back in the 90s when uh, with my dad bringing me to to the Valencia Club, Football Club Stadium, Mestalla, uh, which is my hometown. Uh, yeah, those are my first memories. Great team back in those times uh, with Mendieta, uh, Claudio Lopez, Cañizares, Pellegrino. And uh, that's how I discovered football. And it's a great stadium, by the way, uh, uh, with lots of history. And it's still the same that, uh, back at that time. So uh, every time I come back to Spain, to Valencia, and I see the stadium in brings back some great childhood memories. Yeah, hopefully you can get in there sometime soon. And we're all itching to get into a stadium. Uh, yeah. Very, very soon indeed. Um, but you wasn't just football when you were growing up, Alejandro, was it as a sport that you were interested in and, and passionate about? There was a big passion for basketball. So how did that come about, number one? And, and then number two, uh, what was kind of on the priority list? Was it basketball over football? Well, I love I love sports in general, uh, and uh, I obviously love football. But uh, I wasn't a good player. <laughs> I realized that very very soon. And uh, my dad used to be a basketball player in in Valencia, not professional level, but he he did like basketball. And um, so I, I thought I really wanted to follow his steps from a very young age. And I started playing here in Valencia and uh, from. For many years, then I had some knee problems, so I started coaching from a young age. Yeah. And, um, so, so yeah, I really, really love basketball. I love football. I love Formula One, tennis. And I love sports, and that's maybe the reason why I I joined this industry. I was tri driven by passion. Hmm. So you quite tall? No, I used to play as a point guard. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, the the nippy sort of fox in the box type uh, type the Wissam Ben Yedder of basketball type uh, type role. Well, I'm a bit taller than Wissam, but uh, I mean I'm not that, as big as those <laughs> basketball players playing in the US. I'm I'm uh, uh, meter one eighty. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Well, <laughs> I guess I could be. A good, I, I guess I could be a good defender in football. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. So, as you said, you know this this basketball and love for basketball was something that really drove you in you know in your teens and and going forward. And obviously, you end up as a basketball coach uh, in Marseille in August 2014 at the same time that you are involved in the Orlando Magic France branch of things. Um, how do you then, in December 2015, end up as the international development manager at Olympique de Marseille? Hmm. Well, I was, I was young and uh, I was living in Spain. I had finished my studies and I knew, I always knew that I didn't, I love Spain and I know that I will always come back. But I wanted to spend some years traveling and discovering this crazy world. 
So uh, as you were saying, I, I was traveling. I, I went to. I was living in the U.S. Uh, then I even spent some time in London, and I moved to France to start some projects in basketball with uh, with the Orlando Magic and uh, coaching with uh, in Marseille. And um, whilst I was living in uh, in Marseille, I I obviously followed the Olympic Marseille uh, football team, and uh, that's how. And I met the uh, the digital team, and um, who was. Um, it was led by uh, Fred Kosik, who's still working there. He's doing a great job. And when I met Fred and, and social media manager uh, Alban Lip, um, they uh, mentioned um, the, the digitalization process that uh, they wanted to, to put in place with Marseille. And they were we were really really they were really starting from scratch. And um, so I joined the team uh, in 2015. And uh, Probably the, we, we did some great, great work, a uh, great job during, during those early years. And uh, that, that later helped us in the international strategy that we started in 2017. Uh, we, back at those times in 2015, like Marseille didn't even have a, a website in English. So we started like from a really, really far away. And uh, with uh, Fred and with Alban, we, we did a great job. And we started like launching Twitter accounts in different accounts in English, in Spanish. In sure. Arabic, Japanese, because we—that's when Hiroki uh, Sakai he joined the the club. And we started to 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 give an interest for uh, like global fan base, and uh, started to to talk with fans from abroad. Who and we could feel like fans were uh, they were expecting this uh, for for many years. And uh, the first thing that all of them would say is like, at like, like finally you're doing yeah. it. And and uh, I think that 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 work we did uh, like really really helped us, as we said. And um, and uh, it was uh, like, yeah, a re really good, great experience in 2015 when I joined Marseille, joining a, such a huge French football team with such a huge, uh, passionate fan base. So how many fans does Marseille have outside of France, do you think? Well, the global, the global fan base, uh, digital fan base of Olympique Marseille is 13 million fans, uh, including France. Uh, let's say 60% are in France, 40% uh, are... Uh, are abroad um, and Africa is for sure the biggest the biggest fan base that Marseille has there's a huge emotional and historical link between uh, not just the club of Marseille but the city of Marseille too with Africa mm. so many people from Africa living in the city I think we had some, like almost 50% of the population is either born in Africa or they have African origins and yeah. of course all of the Legends that came from Africa, Drogba, uh, Niang, uh, Abidi Pele, they had a uh, great influence in building a, uh, what today is the most popular uh, team, at least in the French-speaking area, which is uh, Olympique Marseille. Yeah. Yeah, and that obviously makes Marseille the second most followed French team in the world. Would you say behind Paris Saint-Germain? <laughs> or... Well, uh, at least until, uh, yeah, well, I mean, they're Paris, so we need to be uh, realistic. They're doing a fantastic job since uh, the, the Qatar uh, uh, investors arrived and uh, they're huge. I mean, Paris right now, you, you cannot compare Paris with, uh, with any other team in France. It's a completely different level yeah. uh, in terms of financial team, uh, resources, uh, training academy, everything. Paris needs to compare themselves with Barcelona, Man City, Juve, Real Madrid, Liverpool, the top teams. Um, they have the top players and, uh, and, uh, and we are proud of, of, of saying this and the competition with Paris is just on the pitch. 
during 90 minutes. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we, I mean, it, it'd be, I'd be a fool if I don't recognize and admit uh, the, the, the strength of, of Paris. And it's good. It's, uh, it's good for French football that a team like Paris uh, can have those kind of performances and those kind of players because it brings attract, attraction to, to the French league. Yeah. What could Marseille, you think, take from Paris Saint-Germain's internationalization strategy? Um, Les Parisiens have been very successful at making key merchandising collaborations. The Jordan tie-up, everyone thought they were crazy when they did it. Um, well, when they started started doing it in 17, 18. Um, and then, you know, the other thing is that they have this huge network of academies now in the United States. Are those two verticals that you think Marseille could be doing better to emulate? Yes, for sure. Well, the, the, the most important thing uh, in an international strategy, the most important factor in football, it's, it's results and players, stars. In this. There's many markets which are driven by, by players that play in your squad. China is one of them. Um, and uh, you can do a fantastic business job, a market. You have, have the best marketing team in the world. But uh, if you don't have good performances, if your team doesn't play in Champions League, or any, they don't, you don't have top players, it's, it's more difficult. It's possible, and there's many good uh, case studies of teams who have succeeded, but that's the most important factor. And Paris has this financial strength to have both results and, uh, and, and the players. After that, but it's not, it's not just that. They are also doing a great job uh, of the field, and you gave two really good examples. I would mainly focus on the Jordan uh, case study, which for me is one of the best examples in uh, the sports marketing um, in, during the last years. And uh, I think it's very important because when we thought of, when we think about Paris uh, during the first years since the Qatar investors arrived, uh, I think that they didn't really know what kind of brand they wanted to be. Uh, when we thought about Paris, Paris is this beautiful city, romantic city. Uh, it's the stereotype of uh, of, uh, of France, and we would yeah. think about someone walking in the, in the Eiffel Tower with uh, the baguette under the arm. <laughs> and this is not the brand; it's not the image that Paris wanted to give uh, internationally. So um, they really wanted to be a lifestyle brand. They really wanted to to be a powerful brand, uh, targeting the younger audience. And I think they, this kind of job they did with Jordan is a great case study and a great example of the, what they really want to be. I think one of the really fascinating things that you just said there is that you can have the best marketing strategy in the world, but if you don't have the players that attract certain international markets, you know, it's like running up a hill backwards almost in terms of how difficult it can be to really penetrate new markets. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. How, how, how do you think it's changed in terms of targeting the next generation of football fan because my sense is that generation z who really most clubs need to be targeting domestically and internationally um they're far more interested in increasingly the success of an individual player than necessarily being as loyal to a specific club um so speak to that a bit and 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 how kind of an internationalization strategy on the one hand, you're trying to bring in all the existing fans of Marseille who hadn't been unlocked, let's say, and hadn't been engaging through socials that were as accessible as the ones that you have now. But is the strategy a bit different when you're looking at Generation Z? Yeah, well, we, 
when I first arrived in Marseille, um, the club had obviously a huge fan base, uh, both uh, in France, like in many markets like Africa. But uh, what we spot right away is that like 80% of these fans uh, were, uh, were from older than, let's say, 30 years old. And, yeah. and uh, when we went to countries, uh, USA, China, uh, Middle East, uh, even some countries in North Africa like Morocco, kids were fans of of Juve, of Real Madrid, of uh, uh, even Paris, and um, they were not really massive fans. Their, their parents perhaps could be, but not the kids. Yeah. So we had to. That's one of the main reasons why we did this work with the, our digital team uh, in the first phase of, of our international strategy. We really wanted to to to, to engage with kids and. Um, and it's so important today, nowadays, to, to engage with, uh, with fans from a very, very young age, especially when they are, like, let's say, 10, 12 years old, because that's the, when you build loyalty. Yeah. Uh, I can, of course, uh, build a fan when he's uh, 30 years old, but that's going to take time, lots of time. Whereas a kid uh, who's uh, 10, 12 years old, that's probably his emotional age where he's, he's discovering things, he's... Uh, He's, uh, he's interested in, in many things in his life and in terms of sports, he's, de he's perhaps deciding what football team uh, he, he wants to follow, which is <laughs> one of the most important decisions in your life. No, just, just, <laughs> just but, um, so, so we really, really had to target kids uh, through those ages. And we did some, we were doing some stuff like academies and football schools, which uh, it's very important to target this young uh, audience and to, to make them discover Marseille through different different uh, programs and, and, and events. Um, but the digital for me, it's the way to connect with a fan who's overseas at, uh, seven days per week. And, um, and it's, it's, it's so hard and it's so easy and so hard at the, at the same time, because we are, you're connecting with these fans through, through huge uh, applications uh, like Instagram and so like Facebook, Twitter. And it's, it's so interesting to see how the way that these fans, they use these platforms uh, compared to us. Uh, like when, let's say Instagram, when I use Instagram, uh, I guess it's like you, we use it more in terms of sharing pictures and sharing photos with our fan base. When I talk with, with, my, with my nephews, they use Instagram as a messaging platform. Yeah. Whereas we would use WhatsApp for this. So it's so interesting how they use it. And we need to learn from them. From them. There's so many learnings that, that we can take. Because uh, uh, it's, again, it's, it's uh, the most eff efficient way to talk to a million fan base uh, with just uh, uh, one tool. So um, we did this job uh, at that time. And that's when, as I was saying, we, we had to launch all these social media platforms. Um, but it was not enough. We... We, to talk with a Chinese fan, it's not enough to just take a picture and to, to add subtitles. We need to understand what the Chinese fan is expecting from us. And that's when I, we had to localize our content. We, need, we said, okay, we are launching this 20-minute uh, uh, documentary uh, for a French fan, perhaps a US fan. We can add some subtitles. But um, what is the Chinese fan expecting? And we learned that the Chinese fan, for example, he had no time to, to watch this content on, on, uh, on uh, Facebook or on his laptop or perhaps no interest. So what was he expecting? Perhaps he was expecting a 10 second video or he was expecting less uh, skills and more about lifestyle. He, what kind of content we, we could do for uh, Chinese New Year or uh, for the different uh, uh, cultures in China. And, that, and it's so interesting to see how depending on the market and depending on the age 
of the fan, uh, what, um, what kind of expectations he has from a football team. Yeah, no, that is really fascinating. Um, as it pertains to Generation Z, you're basically saying to me, though, or at least the kind of generation of like 10 to 14 year olds, which is, I guess, even below Generation Z, the best way to target them is by being on the ground with the academy. It's not necessarily enough just to be on social because ultimately every club is on social now. Well, you need to have a... Um, I always say there's, there's uh, three different phases uh, to have a loyal fan. First thing is that your fan needs to understand uh, your brand. He needs to know who you are. Uh, there's no point in, uh, in opening an academy in the U.S. if... Uh, if the kid doesn't know who Marseille is. Uh, so we need to go back backwards. And the, the easiest way to, to, to build engagement with a fan is to, through digital. And when I say engagement, it's because it's not enough just to have a million fans in the US on Facebook if they don't engage. We need yeah. engagement. We need to engage with them. We need to be closer with them. And once they know who Marseille is, once there's this, what we call that, like a brand awareness or like a kind of an engagement with, with him, we can then build loyalty. And that's when we can expect with those kind of kids to, to, to work on different kind of programs like academies. But we're talking about academies, there's others. There's, we can have a fan club. We've got, Marseille has like around 25 different fan clubs around the world we, and with um, different ages. And it's uh, fascinating how these fans, they, they meet uh, across the, the different cities in the world to watch the games. To, they travel to Marseille to see, to see uh, the games in the Velodrome. We would organize different fan zones, different events with them. So we, we need to have a good mix of uh, both uh, offline and, uh, and online activations and programs with, with our fans. And we need to understand the different phases where we are. Is it a loyal fan? Is it a market where we're starting from scratch and people don't really know who Marseille is? And it's, again, it's what I'm saying. It's adapting and understanding that different markets have different needs. And that's the richest part of this, this job I did. It's uh, adapting and understanding different cultures, different, different ways of behaving with different fans. Yeah, no, because that last point is is also certainly a really, really interesting thing that you brought up about, one, is the culture around football in the country that I'm targeting similar to the culture that we exist in, in like Western and Southern Europe? Two, is it different, but it's already been established, there is some form of football culture, and how do we integrate into it? And then three, does this country basically have no football culture? And how do we create one in and around this club? Absolutely. Fantastic. So, Alejandro, you've known four managers during your time at Marseille, but you arrived less than six months after the departure of Marcelo Bielsa. How broken was the footballing structure when you arrived following a Locos exit? It was a pretty difficult final 12 months under the kind of Louis Dreyfus reign and also on the pitch under Michel. Yeah, when I first arrived to the club, the, the, the team had just came out from a fantastic season with Bielsa. A great football and a, a great game style, fantastic coach. And uh, when Bielsa, with Bielsa's ex exit, definitely left a one. Uh, then uh, Michel came, uh, but it didn't really work out. Um, and the season wasn't good. Uh, the fans were a bit mad. Uh, I remember a game where... Uh, against uh, Stade René, we lost by, I think it was 5-2, and my parents came to the, to the game, 
it was the first game in the Velodrome. They came to to visit me in Marseille, and so we lost five two. And fans were even jumping on the on the ground. And this is something that you would never see, in, at least in Valencia, even in most of the Spanish stadiums. This passion, but also this craziness, and it's what makes us uh, the Marseille special. And but my fer- my parents were completely like. Uh, uh, I don't know if we can say worried or they were they were definitely shocked. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, it was it was a tough season. Even though, despite everything, we we made the French Cup final in, in Stade de France. Uh, that was a, a great experience in my first year, but it was tough. It was tough. It was um, a transition season, let's say, with uh, Michel and Franck Passy. Uh, there was not really a sporting direction director uh, figure like uh, there's right now. And uh, Macor Global was preparing everything like behind the scenes. Uh, it was in October 2016 when uh, when he arrived, and he arrived with three big uh, important uh, uh, figures, which are Jacques Henriot, the chairman, uh, Rudy Garcia as a coach, and Andoni Tibizarreta as, as sporting director. And then things were were better. But um, right now, when I see back at those years. Uh, in, I, I realize, or I feel, and I guess many fans feel the same thing, is that the players that left uh, during that season that I was, I was talking about, we had Benjamin Mendy, who's now playing in Man City, Michi Batshuayi, Premier League, Lucas Ocampos, who's one of the top players in La Liga right now, Bunasar, who just joined the um, Bayern Munich, Thambangisa doing some the great season with uh, Villarreal last, last year and now with, with, uh, with Fulham. You see that squad, and you say, "Like my, my God, like this team could could have been playing Champions League, like yeah, and top top positions in, in League One." So you realize that there was a problem in the structure, but again, it was a transition season. It's something which can arrive in football when there's a change in in, in ownership. Yeah, and actually, I think maybe controversially, the squad that Bielsa left uh, in the middle of that summer transfer window, just before you arrived probably would have had a better chance to be in the Champions League than the team that Vias Boas actually took there over the course of this season. But I won't ask you to comment on that. <laughs> um, the, um, the other thing I wanted to ask, because it's, it's something in our experience too, when the club is not doing so well, do you find it, did you find it more difficult to rope various people into the kind of certain internationalization projects, be it players or be it, you know, the board, because um, my my experience certainly is that when a when a club in Ligue 1 is not doing so well, they like to hold off on all the press and media until they're doing well again, and then they're very very happy to do as much uh, English speaking media as possible. Yeah, well, it's it's part of it's part of football, and it's this adrenaline and it's uh, that uh, we we love about it. It's uh, otherwise we would be working in a normal uh, office. Uh, which is much more a routine and football is tri- driven by emotions and, and by results. And, uh, and it, it, what makes it special, we need to understand at the same time that players and, and people around it are human. They have feelings and uh, yeah. when, after a performance, uh, they can, can be upset, um, but, uh, but it's part of it. And they're, they're still professional and they understand that they have different obligations. So on my side, it's perhaps I, there's a, a part of my job needs to be a bit, a bit psychological. Uh, not as a coach, they've got the coach for for this to for the pep talks, 
but uh, psychological in the sense of having some empathy to understand this and perhaps to push less players on uh, on different projects or commercials and or with sponsors after a, a defeat because I remember um, back in my times where I was uh, a player obviously I didn't have this kind of engagement but when I played basketball when I lost a game I didn't want to know anything about uh, about, <laughs> about anyone I just wanted to go back home and 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 be on my own and, and think about the game and this is the same for professional players so uh, again it's 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 part of it and, uh, but it's been a wonderful experience working with them they're great great guys all of them honestly I've, I've met some great human beings during the five years I've been with Marseille some of them I'm still still in touch I and mean, I'm so proud to see how well they're performing in in, in other clubs and it's this human relationship this uh uh, which is uh, one of the things I, I value the most about uh, my experiences, the, the kind of connections you make, uh, not just with players, but with people in the board, with, with coaches, and, and to keep in connected with them uh, after, after our experience with Marseille. Which player over the last half decade has most enjoyed being involved in the promo work? Someone who just can't get enough of it and enjoys, you know, being told that he has to say Happy New Year in Chinese and stuff like that? Oh, there's so many. There's so many. Uh, the I guess you just again they're human, and we need to understand that when we're we are presenting these kind of projects to players, it needs to be fun. Yeah. Uh, for them, if they enjoy the thing, and if they, if it's something fun, they are so natural. And when, there's nothing better as a content or as an activation than seeing a player in it how he is naturally without any performance. If you're just giving him a paper which he needs to read, it's boring. It's even boring for me as a project, as a manager. Uh, <laughs> I want to be working on, a, on, a, on, on other kind of projects. And when, for example, when we would do these um, uh, activations with players or different events uh, traveling to Africa and, the, and bringing them with us and see how what OM represents in Africa, meeting the fans, seeing a different culture, or when we do these international tours, in the U.S. and then taking them to watch uh, baseball games or meeting fans like in a fun party in the U.S. It's mm -hmm. what they like. And, and again, they're natural. You can really see how players are and, and fans love this. But I wouldn't be really able to, to, to give a name. I think it wouldn't be fair because there's so many players that I enjoyed working in different kind of projects that, uh, uh, of course, there's, there's e that some which are a bit more difficult. There's some, some, uh, some adventures like uh, working with Palotelli was was, for example, a fascinating adventure in all means. Uh, but, uh, but it's great to, to, to meet the players, to work, work with them in this. It shows you a different, a different point of view of how they are. And you, again, you realize that they are human and they've got feelings, they've got emotions, they've got problems, everyday problems like us, not just uh, on football, but personal issues. And you need to be there to help them and to support them as, because we are all in the same boat. We're all in the same, in the same club and we are representing the same institution. Yeah. Uh, I can imagine that Balotelli either would want this done very, very quickly or he would be constantly pranking you and, and slowing things down. Which one was it? Well, to be honest, after I was a bit scared when, when Mario arrived to Marseille because uh, we knew his, uh, his uh, curriculum, let's say, yeah. in other clubs. Uh, but uh, we never had an issue with Balotelli, seriously. And this is not, a, uh, it's not a just uh, to make things some better than they are. No, we never had a problem with Marotelli. And I think there's one of the main reasons is because Mar there was a real brand fit between yeah. Mar Balotelli and Marseille. It was a full playing in, in, 
not a fool, but he was a, a, a crazy guy in, in, the, 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 a crazy in, club. in a crazy club. And it fit. It, it's like uh, with this kind of things that you say, it, it makes sense. It's like when uh, Bielsa was in Marseille. It's, it's this kind of, uh, of, of actors that they completely fit with your institution. They understand the values and they, they really feel like, like if it was their home, even though they're born uh, thousands of kilometers away. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And, and actually what you're saying mirrors a lot of what the guys of Orsini said as well, you know, in terms of within the staff of the club, just a lovely guy, generous guy. Um, and on the pitch turns into a, a, a fighter. And, and, and that's also part of his personality. And it's also why he was able to overcome all the odds that he overcame to become a professional footballer in the first place. So uh, it's nice to hear. Explain to me the thinking behind the 2019 preseason tournament in Washington, D.C. that Marseille and three other league and clubs participated in. Was this something that uh, the ownership of Marseille was, was seeking quite heavily to do? Obviously, you also had Bordeaux there that had just been acquired or was in the process of being acquired by another American owner. Ultimately, very few people turned up when it came to the actual games themselves. Hmm. Yeah, well, um, as part of our, our international strategy, we... We thought it was very, very important to bring uh, bring the club closer to fans and uh, uh, globally. We and when I arrived to Marseille, we were doing pre-seasons in, in Switzerland, in the south of France, and this is good from a from a spot performance uh, in order to prepare the players for the next season. But there are also, like we were saying, different commercial and uh, and um, marketing uh, objectives that the club has to attain and. In, Perhaps it's during summer that it's easier to 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 do them, and and it's very important to to in an international strategy to to have your players on board and uh, to bring them again to, to to these different international markets. So we were studying different uh, different opportunities in 2019, and uh, we the League One they presented us this opportunity with which was called the EA League One Games, um, and we thought it was very very important to support League One. In, in their international strategies, because like us, they were starting also from 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 scratch. Uh, and um, again, uh, we, I think the competition between clubs has to be just on the field. Out of the field, we are all working on the same on the same objective, which is to build a uh, build a, a football in France and the attraction for the League One. And because there's a huge competitiveness with with our leagues. So there was this opportunity of bringing the team to the U.S. for us. There was also this emotional uh, link of uh, bringing it in our first international tour to the country of our owner, oh. Frank McCourt, was also something important. So we weren't on board. We, we did this tournament. Uh, we knew it would be challenging because uh, it was the first time and um, we were not expecting like... Uh, Stadiums, but uh, so the games we play, for example, against uh, Saint Etienne and, uh, and Bordeaux, as we were 50 to 70 percent capacity. Uh, we then did a third game against DC United, the local MLS team, and the stadium was full. It was a huge, fantastic experience. We really enjoyed it. The staff was, uh, was quite happy about the experience because we were talking about the commercial, we were talking about the, the sport uh, obligations, but uh. Uh, there's also a, like a very very important thing about these kind of tours is the bonding and the cohesion that the coach and the staff they they try to to build and taking the players, having these kind of experiences and, and adventures in in different countries is a great way to to build a team together, and one of the 
most positive things and outcomes from last season was the, the cohesion and the, the, the team and the, 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 the friendship that you could see in the team. The players they were so united and perhaps the team was not the best squad that we had in, in Marseille history. Of course, some top players, it was still a great team, but uh, it was, uh, it, we didn't have the same, uh, uh, let's say, budget that other League One teams and not the same squad. But the team was so united and it's uh, thanks to to all of this kind of stuff that we did, like bringing the team to the U.S., all of the, the efforts, uh, the, 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 uh, the way of managing of André Villas-Boas uh, to have a team so united and working on a common goal. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, how frustrating has it been doing your job when the LFP haven't really had any infrastructure that you could really work within? Um, I think the reason that Get French Football News has even been somewhat successful was it was launched at a time where nobody else was providing the rest of the world with news from the world of French football. Well, League One, um, it's definitely a top five league in the world. Um, problem is, it's, it, I think it's the fifth. It's fighting with Italy uh, on, the, on the fourth but it's, they're still miles away from uh, Bundesliga and I, we can't even compare with the Premier League or, or, or La Liga, which are the two top two leagues. Yeah. Um, however, I, I think they're, they, are, they understand the, uh, the challenges of going abroad and how important it is to, to, to build a, a global strategy for, for the league. I think they're doing some good job over the last years. We're talking right now about the League One games in the US. It's a format that last season, unfortunately, this summer couldn't couldn't be done again due to the COVID context, but for sure, I'll, they'll definitely do it again next summer. The French Super Cup, uh, Trophée Champion, they're going global. Uh, and it's something that uh, uh, it's also helping to bring closer to fans. But again, it's things that uh, these top four leagues that we just mentioned have been doing for the last 20 years. It's not enough. And uh, we, League One needs to, to, to under, they need to define what is League One, who they want to be, and understand why would a football fan watch League One? Because we cannot compete with the other top four leagues in terms of football. Because obviously, if a fan wants to see beautiful football, they watch La Liga. If they want to see a competition, they watch Premier League with so many teams. And no matter what team can win the game, and that's yeah. what makes it interesting. If you want to see atmosphere, there's great atmosphere in many League One stadiums, but but it's not it's not enough. People can watch the same thing in Bundesliga. Can see also this in Syria. So we need to know what's League One and what we want to export internationally as a brand. And uh, I think what, what, one of the main assets is the talents and the players that the League One is exporting to, to the world. And some of the best players right now in the, in the world of football come from League One. Karim Benzema, Mane, uh, uh, Mares, uh, Astar, uh, Kante. The, the whole case is starting in, in League One. And even some of the best players playing right now in, uh, are still in League One, like Mbappe or Neymar. Uh, so it's definitely a league of talents. And, uh, and I guess that this is the main uh, uh, acts of, uh, that, that, that the League One needs to, needs to focus. It's, cause people really want to know who, who will be the next uh, Camavinga, the, the, the next Osimen. Uh, it's great talents that in the next uh, years will be leading the, 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 the world of football. And... And the most important, the most interesting thing, in fact, is that these players, of course, uh, PSG, Lyon, uh, Monaco, the, uh, Marseille, are exporting some of these talents. But no matter what team today in Ligue 1 are capable of 
of producing these players. Yeah. Like teams like Angers, like Metz, they're doing a great job of uh, bringing players and uh, forming them directly to the Premier League and to top leagues. And there's many people who really uh, love football and, and they want to follow League One to, to, to identify the next talents and, and, and see how they started. So, yeah. Uh, but, but Andrew, isn't this the exact problem that Ligue 1 has, right? So the latest LFP marketing drive has been to deem it the League of Talents. Now, that is nice, and I totally agree with you that there is a market for uh, the League of, you know, oh, I need to know who the next big thing is going to be before all my friends, if I'm from Spain or England or Italy or whatever. But ultimately... The whole marketing strategy is around the fact that the league is such a great exporter of talent rather than the league in terms of the football itself being so good. And, and, and so you have, you have a strategy predicated on we're really good at selling people somewhere else. And, and basically, you're giving yourselves a, quite a low ceiling. And that very attitude has also coexisted in clubs for a long time whereby they've essentially used it as an excuse and a short-term thing of rather than trying to really maximize all the domestic commercial opportunities and build out the commercial routes from within the club, it's fine because we're just going to sell that midfielder who came from our youth academy two years ago for 30 million euros to cover the deficit. Yeah, absolutely. There's a very interesting conversation I had with André Villas-Boas last, last year. We were talking about the Oporto. He's a big Oporto fan and he succeeded with that team. Yeah. And he continues following. And we were talking about the Oporto business model. And he was saying, uh, the, I remember a phrase he said, is the best seller is when you, when you don't recognize that you're, you want to sell something. And Oporto, uh, for many years, have been selling top players. Falcao, uh, Jackson Martinez, uh, all of these players. At the beginning, they they were not uh, expected to be sold. Of course, I guess the the, the chairman of Porto and the and the, the Porto uh, board uh, the yeah. they knew these players would would, would leave because uh, they had the, the level to to play in the top leagues. But uh, the they had this mentality of we are not selling them. And if you want to have the player, you really need to 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 do your best for to to. To take him, and it's a kind of mentality that Jean-Michel Olas in Lyon has, has been doing the last years. So what you were saying, it's very important that League One, yeah, we are we they are developing this League of Talents. But League of Talents doesn't mean that you have to sell them. I mean, the best thing is to to to, to keep them. If you're capable of keeping these players in your league, it's going to reinforce your competition. It's going to make a much more interesting league, and uh, you're going to have a, 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 the best players in your. It's very difficult today, however, to, 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 to keep them because there's so much power in, in other leagues and they've got the money to, to pay for them. But if you're capable of keeping those players perhaps for two, three extra years as part of their, uh, their development, and uh, for example, a player like uh, Kamavinga, so young, uh, if you're capable of retaining him in League One for still more years, because I'm sure he's got plenty of offers to, to leave next summer. But I think it's too soon. And I'm not talking just about the sporting side. I'm have, I have no, uh, no, 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 I don't have this, the sporting skills to, 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 to give my, my, my advice on this. But uh, a player like Osimhen, if he's capable of, of uh, sorry, Gamavinga, like uh, remaining in the league for, for a couple of years, that'd be excellent. And, and if we're capable of keeping those players here on board, it'd, it'd be the best thing for the French league. I remember Laurent Blanc, when he was a French national uh, coach, uh, one of his philosophy was he he gave a preference for players who uh, who uh, played in League One and he he was the one a kind of a mentor 
telling them like you need to stay in League One because it's good for French football, and uh, and it's definitely good if we if we are capable of keeping them to to make a competitive league because it's what's uh, lacking right now. Right now, there's like a great gap between PSG and the rest of teams. Um, Monaco won a league a couple of years ago, but PSG have been dominating. And uh, we really need a competition where, uh, like Premier League, like Serie A, like like like, like uh, Bundesliga, are, are capable of with some top teams. Okay, if PSG won the team, but right now there's a 20-point gap. Let's make it shorter year by year, and, and we really need our teams to fight with PSG because this is gonna be indirectly gonna be good also in a new European level. Yeah. We need French teams to 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 be on the top. It was excellent to see Lyon playing semi-finals with PSG. We need more of those teams. I'd be very, very glad if Marseille are capable of, of fighting for these kind of positions. Yeah. One of the ways in which you can ensure you keep your players if you get more money from TV deals. Um, we are three, four months into a new four-year broadcasting domestic cycle with, well, Media Pro, joined by, obviously, Spanish-based company joint media which is partly owned by uh china now uh this deal that was signed for the majority of the league and domestic tv rights for the next four years made the whole package in league worth 1.15 billion uh which actually makes french football have the second highest and most valuable domestic TV rights deal in the world of football behind only the Premier League at the moment. And that will change, but owing to the way in which the various cycles of broadcast deals are working, that's where we are right now. They, in theory, provided the clubs like an FC Lorient coming up this season, uh, like a Brest, to spend, you know, Lorient spent 30 million euros on players. And, and when these sort of mid-table Premier League sides came knocking 10 days before the end of the transfer window for a winger like Johan Wissa. They just for the first time said no. But obviously now we have a situation where Media Pro is not making the payments that they are due to the clubs, which has triggered a crisis really in Ligue 1 and resulted in more emergency loans from government-backed emergency loans uh, that the LFP has had to take out. What are your thoughts on the situation? How frustrating is it for someone like yourself who obviously wants to see Ligue 1 be as internationalized as possible make such a which on the kind of on the on the paper seems like such a good move a positive move only for it to seemingly now be somewhat thwarted and throw us into uncertainty the media pro deal for sure was a great news um for for french football unfortunately it arrived right before uh, probably the most important crisis in French sports uh, due to COVID, uh, who has really, really affected uh, clubs on a, on a fin- from a financial point of view. Uh, first of all, League One was the only, from the top five leagues, the only league who didn't finish the season, which affected TV rights. And uh, it's an in- impact, in, again, uh, this season, the revenue in terms of ticketing, sponsoring, again, the TV rights because of the media pro uh, crisis. And this has an effect on, on, on performance. It has an, an, an effect on, uh, on uh, the club's financials. We, we saw this summer how the French teams, they spend 40% less on the summer transfers. And this comes from, uh, from TV rights. Uh, we were talking about the Premier League. And uh, in my opinion, one of the keys for the, for the Premier League success has been the revenue 
generated from television contracts, TV yeah. rights are what gives this extra uh, extra mile, extra difference on uh, on teams. And uh, we need to see the TV rights are like a big pie, and uh, the more TV rights, uh, so the pie is going to be split on different on different slices. And uh, the bigger the pie, the bigger the slice that you're going to get. So. Um, uh, we were talking about, for example, the national TV rights, but in my opinion, big, big challenge right now for League One is the international TV rights, which are right now dealt, dealt by, by Dean Sports. Yeah, and, and it's Junior School as well. It's like six million it, euros a year. It's the greatest challenge because, uh, got an example, the, the international TV rights for League One are 70 million euros. Mm. It's just, just uh, like what Premier League would sign in just one, one country in Asia. It's nothing. Yeah, and um, the contract with uh, Bean Sports will end in 2024, and League One are understand that this is the biggest, biggest uh, challenge uh, for uh, their expansion because uh, they, they did a great deal with uh, with China, and they have a good deal with Bean Sports in uh, in the Middle East, but uh, it doesn't really represent that much in the rest of markets which uh, they are trying to enter. And again, it's so important uh, the the effect that it will have on. On teams, the, the more TV rights, the more budget that you're gonna have to spend players, uh, that you can bring better players for your league. This will bring the competition. This will, again, in the next cycle, bring up again the, uh, the TV rights. And it's a kind of a wheel where uh, League One need to enter. And uh, but I think they have the right people and they have the right team to 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 to, to add value in these kind of uh, strategies for for the next cycle. Yeah, fing fingers crossed. So long as it's not the same people who didn't ask uh, MediaPro for any bank guarantees. Um, <laughs> is the future of all football on free-to-air online streaming sites like Twitch and YouTube? How involved were you in developing OM's presence on Twitch? I personally thought that streaming the club friendlies from the 2020 preseason on Twitch was a pretty ingenious move and something that more clubs should be doing across Europe. Well, last preseason was probably one of the toughest we've seen uh, in the last years. Uh, well, it's been the toughest for sure, uh, without any doubt. For two things, the first thing it's uh, of course all the sanitary, the health uh, protocols that we had to apply because uh, we had to travel to Germany, we had to travel to Portugal, and we had to take into consideration all the all the health uh, issues uh, linked to COVID. And then it was the financial challenge. Um, we normally, when we do these kind of tours, we, we it's a very, very important revenue stream for, for clubs. So when you play these games, you have ticketing, you've got uh, playing fees, uh, you are organizing different games in different countries. And this summer, we couldn't see any 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 of these kind of revenues. So the only revenue that we could see was coming from TV rights. Mm. And at the beginning, when we were asking this kind of question, and uh, we were organizing the preseason uh, program, we saw the different kind of games we had. And uh, we were thinking about uh, selling these games to different international TV channels or, uh, or even uh, creating this kind of OTT platform uh, through monetization. But uh, we, we then said like, okay, let's do a test. Uh, we, we, we were trying to, to work with Twitch and we said like, we're gonna do a test on Twitch for our first uh, games. And uh, we're gonna uh, show on air the games for free on Twitch. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of, let's say, of an investment, a long-term investment on brand awareness for, uh, and I think it worked out because we later, we just announced uh, a partnership with Twitch for uh, different exclusive content, our press conferences, and uh, different friendly games, and, uh, and even academy games that we will, will be streamed on, on this platform. Um, 
I cannot put myself in the middle on this. I was organizing the precision program and everything, but it was an idea that came from our media team, which in my opinion is one of the best, uh, one of the best ones in, in Europe and of course the best one in France. We have a great team, they're excellent, they have, they're so creative, the con different content they're making and the other ones who are, who are working on with uh, Twitch on these kind of, uh, of activations. And um, we understood it. It's a great way to target the younger audience. We were talking right now about the importance of uh, of engaging and getting closer to a younger audi audience. Yeah. The younger audience, they don't watch TV. They, they watch yeah. Twitch, they watch YouTube. And I think it's a great way to reach uh, and to engage better with them. And uh, honestly, it's amazing how these platforms, they potentially have. Uh, I was watching the other day um, a concert of uh, G Balvin, who's a Latin artist, and yeah. was doing a kind of of concert on Fortnite and everything. And the artist, he would do a, he did an interview after after this concert. He was saying that during a one hour concert on Twitch, he had more viewers than during a one year world tour. It's amazing how the houses work. And in full short, it is there are gonna be huge playing actors in the, on the, um, the streaming and the, the uh, media strategies of, of football, but it unfortunately can. It cannot just be the solution. I think the society is still not ready, and there's yeah. still many consumers who, who and fans who follow TV. It's not my case. I never watch TV, but the older generation they, they still does. Um, I'm, right now, I'm back home. I'm back in Spain. I was uh, I was with my dad the other day. He has Netflix, and he he can watch uh, whatever series and and, uh, sure. and uh, film he wants. But he yet. He still watches the TV guide every night to see what film is on TV at what time. <laughs> uh, I remember we were having dinner and he was like hurrying. I was like, let's go, let's go quickly. They're new. He wanted to watch this uh, Russell Crowe film. I said like, do you know that you can perfectly watch the film later on Netflix at whatever time you want? <laughs> they don't, they, perhaps it's the technology. They're not uh, familiarized with, uh, with the way Netflix works. Or, or perhaps it's just a matter of customs and routine they have. And they do not want to change this. So well, I think right now we just need to find a common balance uh, between what the younger audience they are expecting and perhaps these uh, other older fans are 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 used to. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because consumer changing consumer behavior is always the most complicated element of most marketing strategies, right? But especially this specific challenge because watching TV no one is watching TV for their job, right? Watching TV is synonymous with it being the kind of relaxed comfort time. I think there's something very, especially sentimental on a human side about this is what I do to relax. And so changing that up in any way, I think is an even greater challenge than if you're trying to change consumer behavior in another way, say, you know, get them to go to one coffee shop or another or, or one fast food shop or another. Um, it's interesting for sure. Alejandro, if you were the head of the LFP, what would be the one thing on the marketing side that you would be focusing on in the next six to 12 months? Well, I think, I think right now the mo the biggest challenge for, um, for the LFP, it's the, on the short term, it's going to be the, how to tackle this crisis that, uh, on football that we just, uh, yeah, that we just mentioned with uh, Media Pro, with um, TV rights, and with uh, all of the COVID, how we're going to adapt to post-COVID. Because it's not just going to be like like that quick, like, okay, let's bring fans back to stadium, let's, yeah. and everything, we're happy and doing like what we used to do before. 
COVID has changed our way of uh, of doing things and our way of following sports and and the way of uh, of, of doing business. And uh, I think there's, it's going to take like easily two three years to adapt until we find a normal a normal way of uh, of uh, of seeing football and, and and running the sports industry. And perhaps it, it will never be the same. And perhaps we we need to take some learnings and and, uh, and we need to adapt and we it will change our way of doing things. Um, my point of view, uh, internationally, um, of course, with COVID, uh, an international strategy has affected. We cannot travel. We cannot organize the tours. Uh, we just mentioned, like, the EA League One Games last summer has been cancelled. The Trophée Champion, which Marseille and, um, and PSG had to play this year, couldn't take place. And it's something that we wanted to work with the LFP to bring the game uh, to international markets. So uh, we need to find ways of, um, of engaging with fans right now. I think it's very, very important. It's part of our uh, football institution. Uh, it's our duty to, 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 to make it easier for fans and to help them to follow, follow football in, uh, in the best way from, from their home. We are as part of, uh, it's our responsibility and our duty. And uh, I think it's through digital. We've been talking a lot about digital and as you can see, it's something which I, which I really love and I like to apply in, in all of my strategies. Yeah. And I think that the, the digital strategy of, uh, of French football, it's, it's growing. Uh, when I compare it back uh, when I arrived to France in, uh, six years ago, and uh, I think there's, but there's still work to be done uh, when we compare it with other organizations like the NBA, uh, like La Liga. There's so much connected with, uh, with fans and there's still, uh, there's still stuff to be done. Sure. Just a couple more to finish off, Alejandro. We really, really appreciate your time today. Um, I guess, finally, you've, you've been in Ligue 1 for five years. You've announced, uh, at the time of recording, you announced a few days ago that you're leaving Marseille. Why have you decided to do that? Well, honestly, um, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a decision, a personal decision, a decision that I had to take. Um, I arrived very, very young to France, uh, and uh, it's been for sure the best uh, years of my life, both personally and professionally. I worked for one of the biggest clubs in Europe, uh, big history, big fan base. Uh, I did everything which uh, which I which I dreamt, uh, even more of what I was uh, of what I was dreaming. But I think life is it's full of cycles and uh, my cycle at Marseille had ended and uh, I'm a very curious person. Uh, I love traveling. I love discovering, uh, learning new cultures, uh, learning new, new things. And I thought that uh, uh, I needed a, a, new, a new chapter in my life, uh, a new project, a new, a new adventure elsewhere. And COVID perhaps uh, had an effect of this. I spent lots of time during lockdown thinking about about this and uh, I thought it was the right time uh, so um, obviously there's also some uh, some pull factors uh, which uh, with new opportunities that came during during the last months and but I always say that the day I left Marseille uh, would be because uh, it would be perhaps uh, the something which um, let's say like a big big opportunity for me and, yeah. and uh, I think that we, we say in Spanish that there's uh, perhaps uh, in English you have the same same phrase. They say there's some trains that just come by once in your life, and my train came and I, I had to take it. But uh, honestly, I 
I leave Marseille with a huge experience with some great memories. I've met some fantastic people through through this club and um and I'm so proud of what we did uh, with it, with uh, with the international team and uh, and with the, the different departments and uh, we we started from scratch uh, giving like really engaging with and connecting with our global fans and uh all of the messages that I've been receiving during the last couple of days and weeks uh made me so was so touching to see like how people really recognized the, the work that we did as a team mm. and uh and they were so happy uh, and again it, i'll leave marseille but uh for sure i'm gonna i'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan now uh, and i'll be following the team uh, wherever i go yeah and we certainly wish you all the best um and it's clear that marseille will be with you forever and in, in how passionately you've been talking about them uh, today which is lovely to see what words of advice would you have for young people who want to get into the marketing and development side of football rather than the playing side? Well, football, uh, it's, it's a very, very, we're in a, no, a very noisy world. And it's a very competitive industry, but it's a beautiful industry. Uh, the passion, the adrenaline around it, it's something which I love. I never wanted to work in, a, in an office job with, uh, with a suit. I knew I wanted this from a very, very young age, and there's uh, so many young people who who have the same dream, uh, which I really, really uh, uh, encourage them to to follow and chase these dreams. Um, but for this, they they need to make some noise. They, they need to think out of the box, be creative, and don't be afraid of taking risk. Uh, French football uh, needs a revolution, needs some fresh ideas, and this will come from from this new young generation. So stay crazy, because um, uh, the good thing about crazy ideas is that there's always going to be there's always going to be someone crazier than you who will like them, and then the crazy idea will turn into a great idea. You just need to meet the right person at the at the right moment. So really, go for it because it's something which is worth it. I really love that. That might be we ask that question about we ask that question to everybody about you know whatever their role is in football. And that might be my favorite answer of this whole podcast. So, <laughs> Thank you. Um, and last but not least, Alejandro, we've had a lot of fun. Thank you again. Who would you like to see next on the President's Podcast? Well, I'd love to see uh, probably someone from Marseille I would encourage. We have some very, very interesting people uh, in, at Marseille and brilliant, brilliant people in the sports industry, not just in the board, but... Uh, in marketing, in the, in the commercial, in, in, in our academy. So I would encourage someone from Marseille, if I had to talk from other clubs, I think there's some French clubs doing some great job. I really like the way uh, teams like uh, Rennes or, or Lille are working. Yeah. Uh, I think they're making a good spot in, in French football and uh, perhaps I'd be a bit interested in, definitely be interested in, in listening to some of their ideas and the way, the way they are structuring their clubs. Awesome stuff. Alejandro, thank you so much for your time. Uh, everybody, we've wrapped another President's Podcast. Thanks for your patience over the course of the last few months. Uh, it's going to be a little bit like the English say, London buses. I think you're going to have quite a few to listen to between now and the end of the candy year. Um, from me and, and Alejandro, it's goodbye for now. Please make sure you continue to look after yourselves in what is still a crazy time. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you very soon.